We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. How many of y'all were here last week? Man, we, didn't we have an awesome time last week? It was an amazing day last Sunday. Uh, this, the first service was amazing. The second service was amazing. Uh, the altar time between both, just the power of the Lord was amazing. In the second service, I got to tell you this because you didn't get to see, but in the second service, miraculously, a woman was healed, specifically was called out. She had a, a severe pain behind her left eye and was specifically called out for that. And she, when she came forward, she hit her knees right there. God touched her. Miraculously, it was gone. Three or four people were baptized with the Holy, Holy Spirit right here in the front and speaking in tongue. I mean, we had an amazing time around here last week. And I know that if you were in the first service, you knew what happened there, but you might not have known what happened in the second. And I like to keep us all on the same page to let you know it was, it was just an awesome day last week. Um, we're very, very, very thankful, very grateful for what the Lord did. And I'm, I'm really excited about today. I know this is a little different than what we normally do, but we have a guest speaker today. I've been really excited about today for the last couple of months. Um, Max and Tara Martin are on the way to Costa Rica and not for the same reason that most of us go. When we go to Costa Rica, we try to stay to those nice areas where we never really see what the country's all about. You know, when you go on vacation, if you ever go to one of those countries, you don't really ever see, unless from the time you land at the airport and the shuttle from there to where you're going, you might look around and say, wow, that looks kind of like, kind of like a rough neighborhood. Well, Max and Tara are going to Costa Rica specifically to the rough neighborhoods. They are going there as missionaries. And they're taking their family, and they're going to move there for the next... Their plan is for the next couple of years. It's an interesting story. I won't share all of it. Max will share some of this with you, I'm sure. But uh, his intent a couple of years ago was that he was going to go back. He'll tell, you, he'll tell you more about why he was there beginning and all that. But he was going to go back. And, and uh, his intent was that they were just going to save up some money and just go. And they enrolled in the Pastors Leadership Academy last year and went through it for the whole year. And during that time, we were able to connect them with Ron Harris, who is a missionary with Level Up. And uh, Ron and, and Max worked very closely together. And Ron said to Max, why not let people partner with you? Why not, why not have a base of people here praying for you, financially supporting you, uh, la, 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 la. And Max was, well, I'm not opposed to that. I just, you know, I'm, that'd be great. Max is very teachable, you know. So uh, they, they ended up, Ron ended up talking them into staying here later than they were going to stay and into doing some other things that they didn't even think about doing. And in all of that, the Holy Spirit really took over and promoted Max and Tara to a position with, 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 with Global Teen Challenges. It, it, it's an amazing thing that the Lord has done. I'm so proud of them for, for uh, spending the last year with us. And uh, they have... Uh, they have been a blessing to me, and I hope we have to them. Iron has sharpened iron. And I'd said, you know, before you leave, Max, I, we're going to help you as a church. You're our family. We're going to help you go to Costa Rica, and I don't know what that looks like. But the farther we got into it, I said, you know what, Max, I, I want to give you 
some time to, to speak. I thought maybe five, ten minute window just to share a little bit of your vision and then and pray with you. And then, and then we were sitting at lunch one day and I said, you know what, Max, I think you're supposed to just take the whole service. I think you're supposed to do the, give your testimony in both those services, take the whole time. And you guys that know me know that that doesn't happen very often, but his, his testimony is so powerful, it's going to affect uh, your lives in such a, I think, some of you in a very dramatic way. And when you hear what he's about to go do and what he's, he and his family are about to go commit to, uh, it's, it's, going to it's going to light a fire in your soul. And some of you are going to be like, I want to go with him. And so I just felt like we needed to give him a lot more time to share his heart. And so today he's going to be preaching. He's going to be bringing the word. And I'm going to ask Max if he'd come at this time. Would you all, this is one of our family. He's been with us for a long time. I want you to put your hands together and welcome Max to the platform today, to the pulpit. All right. Y'all strapped in? Okay. I'm going to pray just real quick. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just um, just anoint me, use me. God, I, I want to be a voice box. Um, these are my brothers and sister. Uh, these are your people. God, you want to feed them this morning. You want to help them grow. Um, thank you for this time. Thank you for using me this morning, God. I pray that you would just flow through in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, I have to say I'm really excited about being here uh, for a lot of different reasons. One, I know a lot of you guys, and, and that's nice. Number two, I get to preach at a church where I can leave my shirt untucked, which is a big treat for me. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot to offer. Um, I'm just a, a simple guy, uh, born and raised in Little Rock. Um, but this morning, I want to talk to you guys about God's strength. Um, God has sowed a lot into me over the past couple of years and taught me a lot about his strength. And if I can impart you just one thing, probably the thing that he's worked on me the most the past five or six years has been to show me his strength. And I, and I hope that I can relay his strength to you guys. So um, this message is not about who you are in Christ. Um, if you're saved, you're saved. You're a, a child of the king. Um, you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. Um, He is madly in love with you. He wants the very best for you, and he won't be satisfied with anything less. God's will for your life is not what you do for him, but it's who you are in him. God's will is for you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and he will be satisfied with nothing less. Not to be perfectly Christ, but to be on the road to perfection. He wants you to resemble his son as much as possible. You see, he forms us in the inward parts. It's not about the outward parts. And that being said, God is willing to put you through, drag you through, pull you through, whatever, because he is far more concerned about your character than he is about your comfort. I'm going to ask you a question. And this question was very dear to me. And later on, I'll get to why this question was so dear. But if you have your notes, take your notes out, take your pen out. If you have a phone, use your phone. I really would like you to write this down. If you could do anything with your life, regardless of education, regardless of time, and regardless of finances, what would that be? When I was growing up, I wanted to be a news anchor. So, you know, I went down to the local TV station and I interned for a semester in high school. 
Um, if you could do anything with your life, regardless of education, time, and finances, what would that thing be? In Second Chronicles 16.9, God says, For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro the entire face of the earth, searching for those who have a perfected heart so that he can show his strength on their behalf. God is looking for people to show his strength on their behalf. That means that you get to benefit God showing his strength. God wants to show the whole world how strong he is so that they can fall more madly in love with him, so they choose to follow him. And he wants to show that through certain people, people who have a perfected heart. He may have us legally, but does he have our heart? You see, on the cross, all the legalities were taken care of. But in daily life, we have to give him our heart. It's a daily thing. He said, you must deny your flesh, take up your cross daily, and follow after him. The perfected heart is one that is set on God changing it. The perfected heart is a heart that is set on God changing it. So we can have it our way. We can have it God's way, but we cannot have it both. If you submit your character to the Lord, he will give you all that you can handle of him and even more. If we submit our character to the Lord, he begins to develop us. He begins to speak through us. He begins to speak to us. When we submit to the Lord, that is the true definition of humility. And humility is the currency of heaven. That's the only thing you can take with you. Here's my story. My teen years, I didn't know God at all. I was born into a household that was not necessarily Christian. I knew a lot of drugs. I knew a lot of alcohol. I knew a lot of rough characters. To give you an example, I went to four different high schools. My parents moved me from town to town and from school to school trying to keep me out of trouble. What they did not know is that I was trouble. No matter where we moved, I was still there. <laughs> so, my character was a serious problem. My senior year, I got my girlfriend knocked up. I was so involved with drugs and alcohol, I had a choice. I could go to rehab, or I could break up with my girlfriend. Once again, my parents really thought that my girlfriend was the problem. So, at six months pregnant, I left her. I used drugs to live, and I lived just to use drugs. I was selling a lot, pounds of marijuana and ounces of cocaine. I went out with my friends regularly. A lot of them were getting in serious trouble. You can't live that kind of lifestyle without suffering the repercussions of it. A lot of them were robbed. A lot of times we got into fights. A lot of things were going bad. In fact, a couple of my friends are still in jail today because of murder. During a homicide investigation in Little Rock, I had to sit face-to-face -face with the Little Rock PD. I had to get out of Little Rock pretty quick. So at 18 years old, I was kicked out of the house that I lived in, and I was homeless. I called my father, and I asked if I could move back in with him. Dad said I could. But I had to follow a couple rules. There wasn't very many of them. I had to go to work with him every single day, Monday through Friday. 
Secondly, the weekends were mine. Nights were mine. I could do whatever I pleased. I could get high. I could get drunk. As long as my brother and sister couldn't tell. You see, if they could tell, I had to leave the house. But if I could keep it a secret from them, if I could hold it together long enough, I could continue to work and stay with my father. Every Monday, when I got home after those wild weekends, my father would ask me the same question. How was your weekend, son? And I would tell him, honestly, man, we did this, and the weed looked like this, and the girl looked like this, and the party was like this. And I was trying to entice him back into my lifestyle. But when the weekends went bad, I also had to be honest with him, brutally honest with him. People got hurt. People got in fights. People got robbed. It's not an easy life out there when you're living for the devil. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I had to be brutally honest with my father. And as I told him those things, he would say, Son, if you'd have been serving Jesus, that would never happen to you. Several weeks went by. A lot of my dealers were turning girls into working girls. Their life was pretty rough. One girl that I liked in particular got hooked on cocaine. And my dealer turned her to go work for him. She got pregnant. She had to have an abortion. And I had to sit with her in her household and help her through that process. I had to take her to the clinic and had to nurse her over the course of the weekend. It didn't matter how much I smoked, how much I snorted, how much I did. It was a rough weekend. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I got home late Sunday night. And I dreaded Monday morning. I got in that car with my father. And on our way to go paint a house, he said, Son, how was your weekend? And I shuddered. And I stuttered and I stammered. And I cried as I explained how my weekend had went. And he said, Son, if you'd have been serving Jesus, that wouldn't have ever happened to you. It's about time I started looking a little bit closer at Jesus. My life began to change. I studied him. There were some videos uh, of a pastor that my dad really liked. I began to watch those. And at the end of each video, that, that pastor went through the Roman road explanation. You know, that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. And I had the sinner thing checked off. That was there. Uh, when he explained that everybody was... Not just me, but the Pope, Billy Graham, and everybody else, my father. Um, it became a lot easier to see the light of Jesus. So, I gave my life to Jesus. Things began to change. But i got to tell you, they weren't perfect. Giving your life to Jesus is really simple. It's a matter of surrender. There's no shortcuts to it, and there's no way around it. It's a simple act and change, and he deposits that Holy Spirit into you. But getting free of drugs and alcohol, that's a lot easier said than it is done. Over the next year and a half, I went in and out of recovery. I began to go to 12-step meetings. I tried to get my life straight. I tried to white-knuckle my addiction, and it would work for a month or two months. I had given my heart to the Lord. I had started following Jesus. I even occasionally went to church, but I had not yet hit rock bottom. 
That was still to come. As a believer with the Holy Spirit living inside of me, my real rock bottom, I ended up in a hotel room in Little Rock smoking crack cocaine. And my life was upside down. The good thing about God living inside of you is he won't leave you in that hole for very long. I called several people. I got a job offer in Fayetteville, and I moved up to northwest Arkansas. I began trying to get sober, and I still failed several times. Father's Day weekend of 2000 was a very interesting weekend for me. I had a guy from AA come and find me in a house I was flopped in and offered me sobriety. He offered me a hand up. He offered me a hand out. He offered me the opportunity to go to meetings, to have a very low-paying job under minimum wage, and a pack of cigarettes and two meals a day. But he would make sure that I got to a 12-step meeting and a church every time the doors were open. He was willing to invest that in me. So I took him up on his offer. Instead of drowning my sorrows on Father's Day weekend, knowing that my son was out there, knowing that he had never really even seen his father. He did not even know my name. This guy offered me a way out. That was June 16th of 2000, and I have not touched drugs or alcohol since then. Yeah. I was saved long before that day, but it was a bumpy road. At the bottom, I came to the end of myself. I knew that I could not get myself through this. I came to believe that God loved me. And I was convinced that his will for my life had to be better than my will for my life. And that my will for my life was going to end up probably in death. I had been a Christian for almost two years. But I had not really humbled myself until that point in time. I had not asked him to start perfecting my heart. When that process started of my heart being perfected, he began to show his strength in my life. A journey of a million miles starts with one step. And that's what it looks like to seek God and ask him to change your heart and to perfect your heart. You're never going to get there. I mean, who can start walking and actually walk a million miles? But every step counts. Just a couple years later, in 2003, after being sewed into a church and sewed into a 12-step program and sewed in in as many Bible studies and, and recovery-centered programs as I could find, I got asked to be a temporary pastor in Costa Rica. I didn't even know where Costa Rica was. I thought it was an island. In fact, I thought that they were saying Puerto Rico for the longest time. The churches and the people there were amazing. But there was a great rift. Addiction was ravishing the people, especially on the Caribbean coast. It's very different than the Pacific side. There are no five-star resorts. In fact, there are no air conditioners. It is a different world altogether. It's a collection of port cities in which drug distributors bring their product in regularly. Costa Rica has it a little bit different than a lot of other places. They're a second world country. They can afford to use and abuse drugs. It's a lot different than a country that is just so dirt poor that they cannot afford to touch the product that they move. The church had been burned. The people had been burned. They had been stolen from. 
every time they invited an addict to church or an alcoholic to church, they ended up getting robbed. They ended up getting taken from. And they were sick and tired of it. Outside the church walls, right about sunset, the prostitutes began to work the streets. Prostitution is legal there. The addicts began to come to the dealers who stood across the street from the prostitutes. And this was all going on right outside the church doors and nobody was doing anything about it. I often went to them and God gave me a vision to start bringing them food. So I did. I brought out plates of food, as many as I could carry on one arm. I carried three plates on each. I walked up and I gave them the food. But at sunset, they would ask me to leave. Go home, pastor. We got to go to work. So I decided to start feeding people at the, the mission house at 430 gave me two hours. They didn't really want to hear what I had to say, but when I told them that Jesus ate with sinners and that that was in the Bible, it piqued their interest. So we began a Bible study at the house and they taught me how to cook and I taught them about Jesus. And it went pretty well. We went through all four gospels and every account where Jesus had dinner with sinners. The next three months, things changed. We had a lot of people come into that Bible study. After all the Gospels were finished, it was about time for me to leave. I had been patient with several of them. I did not force the Gospel on them, just like my father did not force the Gospel on me. I listened to them and I waited for them to ask me, why are you doing this? And then I got to share my testimony with them. A lot of them were pretty shocked that this missionary had been through a similar road that they had been on. In my patience, God was perfecting my heart. I was learning to be quiet. I was learning to shut up. And I was learning to listen. My visa expired. And I soon came home to Arkansas. And when I left, that little church was taking off. The real missionaries, who I was there to replace, came back home. Began to fill the pulpit and came in and were able to sow into people that they had been plowing ground with for years. The next several months, even more came. While I was in the United States, I was getting emails. The church house, after two years, was so packed out, there was people standing outside of the windows in order to listen to what they were presenting. The society down there began to change. The community built them a stage on the beach, and they began to have church on the beach so that they could fit enough people. I love those pictures. I love that communication with them. But it all stopped after about two years. I met my wife. Our life began to change. See, my wife, she's an awesome lady. She truly is grace to me. Grace is undeserved favor. And no man would ever deserve to have a woman like her. She's been through some rough things. Her family are not necessarily saints. A lot of her family has cooked meth, grown pot, been in and out of prison. And it seems like every couple years we have a funeral. But she never gave in. She gave her heart to the Lord when she was 13 and she never looked back. What she did was she began to let God perfect her heart at the age of 13. And I get to be the beneficiary of that. And so do all of you. They get to work with her. She was waiting on a man who loved Jesus. 
There was a small town and she was related to just about everybody. So I was probably the only person she could have possibly married. (laughs) We started a little business called Painting to the Max. I began to use those skills that God gave me years earlier. We started in Mount Ida, Arkansas. We painted houses there. We ran out of houses to paint. We moved to Mena. We ran out of houses to paint there. So we moved up here to northwest Arkansas. God began to use our little business. Our first house, I mean, our first year, we painted 16 houses. And we prayed for blessing, and we prayed that God would use us. The next year, we painted over 200 houses. And God's hand was on us. Sometimes, God's will for us is to live in abundance. Paul said he learned how to live in abundance, and he learned how to live without And that was all part of God developing my character. That was part of him perfecting my heart. And I was really happy for that season of life. You see, he's about being submitted when things are going good and when things are going bad. He's about being submitted when the paycheck is there. And he's about being submitted when the paycheck is not there. He's about going into that prayer closet and pushing you in that direction to praise him when the times are good and to ask for what you need when the times are rough. He's not satisfied with a whole lot of either, but a whole lot of both. We began doing ministry as much as we could. We often took in members of our family, gave them jobs, helped them out, gave them a hand up. We always had a two-bedroom apartment so that we could put somebody up in it when they needed the help. We took people off the streets and we began to employ them. You know the guys holding up signs on the side of the road, we'll work for food? One of my favorite things was being able to pull up to them and say, would you really? Give them a job. Give them a place to stay. Take them to work day by day. Let them live like that with everything they needed for two weeks before they got their first paycheck. And then ask them if they would continue to stick around after they got paid. Those were great times and great abundance. And it played a role in shaping our character. But there are more effective ways to do ministry. I cannot say that it bared a lot of fruit, but I can say that it bared a little fruit. I went to a Promise Keepers convention. Anybody ever heard of them? Well, they they took up a lot of offerings, and it made me kind of uncomfortable. And I think it made one speaker very uncomfortable, too. And so during his time... He said, hey, I want to do something different. I was here to take up the offering, but I I want to do something completely different. And he asked everybody to pull out a piece of paper. And in the offering buckets, he had pencils. So everybody went through and took out a pencil. And he asked everybody that question. If you could do anything with your life, regardless of time, education, finances, and ability, what would that thing be? It didn't take me long. He said, whatever comes to your mind first, that's the thing that you ought to write down because that's honest. Mine was to work with addicts full-time. That was what I wrote on that piece of paper. I wanted to be in full-time ministry to deal with people in drug addiction. I put it in the little bucket, and I went home, and I began to pray. Well, it didn't take very long. I told my wife she was ready to go. You know it's the Lord when you have a a business that large and you come in and say, Hey, I think we should just stop what we're doing and go work with drug addicts full time. And your wife says, Let's go. So 
we began to get rid of our business one contract at a time. We began to call the employees together and, and tell them what was going on. Teen Challenge here in northwest Arkansas let go of some people. Things began to change around the ranch. They needed to hire somebody, and I got a phone call. We were praying, we were willing, we were waiting, and we were ready to go. We left everything behind, and we went to Teen Challenge Ranch in October of 2006. Boy, we fell in love quick. This was the desire of my heart. I did not realize how big Teen Challenge was. Did you know that there are 1,200 centers worldwide in 118 countries? It is huge. It is the largest in the world of its kind, and it has the highest success rate. Teen Challenge, on an average year, produces between twenty and 30,000 disciples. And when I say disciples, I'm not talking about people that come up to an altar and say a prayer once. I'm talking about people who spent a year ingrained in the Word of God and made a willing and wanting decision to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. They are serious about it. In Luke 7, there's a principle that Jesus teaches, and that is that those who are forgiven much love much. And if you want to see a field full of soldiers, you go check out a local teen challenge. There are people who have been forgiven much, and they in turn love very much. The biggest changes, though, over the past 10 years have been in my own heart. I see Darren back there, and he can probably testify to that. I have come closer to Jesus through this past 10 years of ministry. The use of Teen Challenge in my own life, the development of my own character there, has changed so much I cannot even begin to describe it. God knew that a knucklehead like me needed that kind of environment to grow. I was not going to become the man that he wanted me to be in any other way. I can do a lot in my own strength, but I cannot change a person's heart. That requires time and prayer, the Spirit of God, and for them to be willing. There are no shortcuts. I had to stay prayed up, I had to stay suited up, and I had to stay submitted. Those boys tear me apart if I walk in there in my flesh. You don't get to slip away with anything. There are no shortcuts around there. Teen Challenges had an impact also on my oldest son's mother. The girl that I left when she was six months pregnant held a huge resentment against me for years, and I don't blame her at all. Over time, began to share Jesus with her. I was quickly rejected. Who was I to share Jesus with her? She called one day and said, hey, are you going to be in southern Arkansas preaching? I said, no. Well, she showed up to prove me wrong. She seen a flyer that said that Teen Challenge was having a service down there. She had no idea there was more than one. She walked into a service New Year's Eve or New Year's Day three years ago. And it was a woman's teen challenge. And she sat there and had to listen to those testimonies for an hour and a half. You know what Jesus did in her life? He saved her. He wrecked her. He changed everything. She is a completely different woman now. In fact, I had dinner with her yesterday and her husband. And we prayed openly in a restaurant together. We threw down in the Mount Ida Cafe, and it was a beautiful place. Three years before that, she came to a church service just to catch me in a lie. Can you believe the work that God can do in one person's heart in three years? 
I want to tell this story also. My son, my oldest son, my 18-year-old. God is about the ministry of reconciliation. Do you all understand that? My oldest son was going through a very hard time, and many of you prayed with me about him. I, at one point in time, about five years ago, was willing to quit my job at our Teen Challenge and possibly go work at another one to maybe get my son into our center because I can't work there and him go there at the same time. That same son came with me on a mission trip this summer, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Part of his prayer was, God, I'm willing to be perfected. Will you start? Because I am a wreck. He came home. He joined the National Guard. And of all the things, my son is in the police academy. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy. So God is at work in our lives. And it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the fact that he loves people so much. He loves people so much. He will go to any length to get them. My ex and my wife talk to each other regularly, and they even share prayer requests. Here at the ranch, God has allowed me to help integrate Celebrate Recovery with our program. It's now a staple there. We have a meeting, and it's going pretty well. And when our guys leave, they get to sow into Celebrate Recovery in whatever town they go to. It is now going on, and a lot of guys, a lot of our guys are getting help. I also got to help out with the Outdoor Adventure Program. And I don't mean to brag... But three to four weekends a month, every month of the year, I get to go camping, fishing, hiking, canoeing. I got to go see the boundary waters of Canada. I've been to the tip top of the Rockies. And I've been to just about every fishing hole in this great natural state. And I get to go out there. And it's not for the express purpose of fishing, although there is a lot of fishing that goes on. It is for the purpose of sharing Jesus. There is nothing like getting to sit with a bunch of guys who were trapped in addiction, completely sober, sitting around a campfire, watching a sunrise or a sunset, and be able to talk to them about Jesus. There are inroads that are made in that environment that cannot take place anywhere else. You know, in in Psalms 19, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. They literally shout His handiwork. And you can sit there with the toughest kid on his worst day and watch that sun go down after a day of a fish on the end of his line and he will listen to whatever you have to say. And it's awesome. That's my job. That's what I get to do. I can't believe it. Well, about four years ago, Tara and I started taking trips back to Costa Rica. Um, I was gone for nine years and it it was a crazy trip. It was a crazy journey getting to go back there. My wife had never seen the ocean, and she had never been out of the United States. So we booked our first trip. I could have gone anywhere, but I wanted to go back to that town. I had talked about it many times, but I wanted to be able to share with her what God did. I didn't think that anybody would remember me. I didn't know what the churches would look like. I didn't even know if they would have the same pastors. Most of the pastors were missionaries. I figured they were stationed somewhere else. So we got on the long plane ride down. We got on a bus. We went five hours across the country. We got off the bus. We were walking to the hotel. And a lady shouted my name. Her name was Ismini. She's a Greek lady. She's really sweet. Between the bus and the hotel, I met my first person. Her husband was lost. 
terribly lost. Cheated on her all the time. He was a fisherman and he was a roughneck. And when I was down there the first time, I shared Jesus with him every chance I got. I'd go out and I'd work his nets for free. I'd go out and I'd work the fish traps for free just so I could tell him about Jesus. He never did give his heart to the Lord when I was down there. But a couple years later, he had a stroke. And he reached out. I was the only Christian that shared Jesus with him besides his wife. And when he gave his heart to the Lord, they began to pray for us. And they had been praying for us for all those years. It didn't take long. It turned out several people remembered us and knew us. Ismini went through the trouble and she arranged for us to have dinner at different people's houses. And we would show up and there would be five or six people, two or three pastors. One time there was probably eight or nine people at this household. And they were excited to see us back down there. Everybody remembered. There was another guy named Franklin. Franklin went to that Bible study. The one where I I taught about Jesus eating dinner with sinners. And when I left, he continued that study. He picked up right where I had left off. Franklin was saved when I came to that town. But he was rejected by the church. He had had a past. He had been addicted to crack cocaine. And he had murdered somebody and spent 12 years in a penitentiary in Nicaragua. Rough life. Found Jesus there, moved to Costa Rica, and I met him about six months after that. He continued to do that Bible study, and eventually he got named assistant pastor of the church. Things began to change dramatically. But they began to not reach out to addicts anymore. They began to get burned. People began to get stole from. And they told him he had to quit inviting people to church. So you know what he did? He went and started his own church. The missionaries who were there, who were working with the local pastor, they got burned too. And you know what they did? They went and started their own church. So out of that little meeting, out of that little Bible study that only lasted for three months, there was eventually two churches planted. And God began to use them in a mighty way. I couldn't believe it. Not only did they remember me, but they prayed for me. And not only did they remember me and pray for me, they were asking me to come back. I began to dream, I began to think, and I began to pray. But this was all four years ago. We began to save some money here and there. We began to take more trips to Costa Rica. I didn't tell my wife this was in my heart. I tried to hold back as long as I could to see if it was on hers. I mean, who doesn't want to move there, you know? So God began to speak to Tara on her second trip down. There was a lady. She was used She was abused. She was an addict. She was in a fist fight in the middle of a street. She was beating up another man over a crack rock. Tara walked by and I walked by. We saw this. It was disgusting. It was a vulgar display. We got down the street a little bit. We began to pray for her. Her name was Margarita. We came back to the United States. God began to put Margarita on my wife's heart. She began to pray for her. She began to fast for her. God began to ask her the question, what if Margarita got saved? What kind of impact would that have on that town? What if she gave her life to the Lord? What if you could help her? Tara shared with me and I shared with her what God had been dealing on us about. We began to think and pray together. Should we go for three months? Should we go for a year? I wonder what would happen if we opened a teen challenge down there. 
I wonder what would happen. I wonder if God would allow us to do that. We held it inside. We began to take our sons down one at a time, introduce them to pastors, introduce them to friends. We began to take down some Teen Challenge literature, talk to pastors, ask them what they could do. Not this October, but last October was the last straw. We sat in a service, actually close to the back row back there. Pastor Darren preached on Saul's armor and how it was not going to fit David at all. He was talking to people about Saul. He was talking to people about David. But all I heard was, hey, dude, you're different. You're not going to be able to do this like anybody else. God moved on both of us. We came to the front. We got Darren cornered after service. And we told him this was our heart. And he said, man, I think that's of God. You should go for it. So we prayed and we waited. We thought maybe it would be two or three more years. In January, we went to, not this January, but last year in January, we went to our directors and we asked. We said, hey, this is what's on our heart. And before the whole thing came out of my mouth, Justin Smith laid a hand on my shoulder and said, you are moving to Costa Rica, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir, I am. Darren said, okay, well, you can expect a couple mission trips from us. You can expect this help. You can expect that help. And we'll support you in any way that we can. So the doors were swinging open. Door one, do I have the blessing of my spiritual authority? Yep. Pastor Darren, Darren Reynolds, and Justin Smith, my directors, all gave me their full blessing and asked me to go and are supporting us financially. Teen Challenge is with us. I was really scared to call Teen Challenge Global. Most of those guys have doctorate degrees, master's degrees. They are an amazing team. They know their business and they know it well. And I'm just a guy that works out here in Morrow, Arkansas and takes kids fishing. So <clears throat> I called them and I said, hey, uh, I'm looking for a mentor. I don't want to do this on my own. I need leadership. I need headship. I need somebody to teach me their ways. They opened the door. When I got off the phone, the directors talked to each other. They called me back and they said, hey, can you come out here next week? The president of Teen Challenge, Jerry Nance, is going to be in town and we'd like you to meet him. So I took our last $500 out of our savings. I bought a plane ticket and I got over there to Georgia. It turns out they had just started praying and fasting about Central America. Many Teen Challenges have closed because of the, the economic downturn of the United States. They were built in a way that was not sustainable. They raised funds like we do here. But in this kind of economy, a couple of fundraisers a year and asking people for handout is not a good way to run a ministry. So they closed down all the Teen Challenges in Nicaragua, Panama, and Colombia. They had two of them open up in Costa Rica, but there's only one left. And they had just started praying and fasting about what they were going to do in Central America. So I got out there without knowing that, and I gave my little pitch, and I asked for you know whatever guidance or help or information or maybe Skype phone calls or whatever they would, they would give. And Jerry Nance pitched back to me, and he said, man, we would love for you to go. We'd like to ordain you as Teen Challenge Global Missionaries, and we would ask you to take Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama, and Colombia. And go plant as many as you possibly can. We want you to set up a home base in Costa Rica. 
You have a lot of pastors. You have a lot of people. You have a lot of inroads. And you have a good community to sow into. But as these spring up and as you get time, we want you to go visit these other countries, meet pastors, and help them to plant teen challenges also. Wow. Uh, Okay. So I came home. I got a hold of Justin and I said, hey, I I probably need to quit work. (laughs) We need to find somebody to replace me. Um, And I got to train the supervisors and I got to train the outdoor adventure guys and I got to work with them and and build the team before I left. And God has implanted people in the ministry that are going to take it further than I could have ever done it on my own. And all that time, God was perfecting my heart. That was his will. He wanted to grow my heart. And it had to get broke. And I had to go through everything that I've had to go through to get to that point. So that I could stand here right now and proclaim God's strength. I am just a dude from Little Rock who was smoking crack in a hotel 16 years ago, man. And I'm going to the drug trafficking capital of the world to plant teen challenges as many as God will allow. He is strong. And I hope that you get that. I hope that you understand that. Well, I won't go on much further. I could, but I'm not going to go on because he gave me this time to sow into you. It's not about me. I hope that God gets his glory, but that's the only reason why I'm up here. This is about you. Our family is heading to Central America. We're leaving our jobs and our security. It has been a 16-year journey, but it will not end until I see Jesus face to face. We've taken six trips back to Costa Rica in the past three years, getting ready to plant, tilling the soil, making sure everything's prepared. We need you to be a part of our support team. We need monthly donations. We need a lot of different things, but the greatest need is that we glorify God. You see, if I leave here and someone goes hard after Jesus and they begin to win souls, the kingdom wins. My father owns all the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns all the hills. It's his vision. It's his mission. And I want to build his kingdom. You're my brothers and sisters and I want to build you up. This isn't about me. This is about him. He is looking for anybody who is willing to be perfected. He's looking for anybody who's willing to look at that million-mile journey and take the first step. Let's look at that piece of paper. Did you actually write something down? Did you look at that piece of paper? Did you type something into your phone? Do you remember the question that I asked you? You see, if that's God's will and you take up your cross long enough and deny yourself daily and seek his face, whatever's on that piece of paper is going to happen. I can tell you. But if that's of yourself, if that's of your will, you can push and pull and prod all you want. And it may happen, but will you be content with it? Or will you have to go on to the next thing? Now I'd like you to turn that piece of paper over or take back out your cell phone. I'd like you to be ready to write down something else. I'm going to ask one more question. 
When you see him in glory, what will you present to him? When you get there, what are you going to lay down at Jesus' feet? I'm going to give you a, a chance to think about it. I'd like you to earnestly examine your heart. When you get there, what are you going to present to Jesus? You see, when what's written on the front of that paper and what's written on the back of that paper are the same thing or going in the same direction, God's strength will be right behind you every step of the way. Every single moment of that journey, you can have the assurance that he is there with you, that he's carrying you, that he is bearing the cross with you, and that he trudged the way by bearing the cross before you. You can be sure that that will be accomplished when those two things line up together. This is where that verse comes into play, that godliness with contentment is great gain. When your will and God's will line up together, that's power. And that is the power that lies in a perfected heart. Not everybody is called to be a missionary. My God, if we all got up and left, there'd be nobody here to serve. But we are called to humble ourselves. We're called to follow faithfully. We're called to lay down our own rights. We're called not to our kingdom, but to his kingdom. We are asked, we are begged, we are pleaded with to be a part of his kingdom and his work. That's how he works your perfected heart. Is God working to make you more like Jesus? What's he doing? What part of your life have you given him? Are you allowing him to perfect your heart? Did you ever think about that before? Are you allowing him to show his strength on your behalf? Have you felt him show his strength on your behalf yet? If not, examine your goals, examine your motives. You see, the things that we value here are going to be of very little value up there. And the currency of heaven is humility. I want to step down now, but I want to I want to ask you to pray over that list. Pray over your goals. Pray over your dreams. Pray over your heart. Ask him to examine. Even David cried out to God, examine my heart, O Lord. I'd like to give you a chance to come and worship.